Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. All right. All right. Gra- grab your Bibles, open them up, turn to the, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, and uh, the New Testament, starting with verse 12. And uh, so this is, is the, the word that God put on my heart. It's a really simple word, okay? Um, as we have been uh, doing the Jesus Church series, we talked about um, our vision at Providence. Uh, a Jesus Church is not just the series we're preaching. A Jesus Church is the mission or the vision of our church. It is that when you boil us down, we want to be above everything else a Jesus Church, Meaning we don't just use Jesus to get what we want, we actually wanna use Jesus to get him. He is the way and he is the truth and we wanna be a church that loves him. He is our goal, we are made by him and for him and we did our best to preach that. Uh, But then there's our mission which is we build people to overflow in God's love and carry his heart. It is really a, uh, a way just of saying that once uh, we want people to be built up or discipled in Jesus, to be followers of Jesus. So this is what a Jesus church is. And then we, we talked about four values that anchor us to Jesus from the book of Colossians last week. Now, I wanna talk today about loving Jesus, okay? Just love, just listen, the purity of just loving Jesus. We can get things right on paper, okay? And they can sound really nice and really good. But today I just wanna kinda wrap the series up by invite, re-inviting you into the heart of God. And in the heart of God, he wants you and loves you just as you are. But he's inviting you, he's knocking on your heart's door, so to speak, inviting you to love him in response. This is, uh, following Jesus is about relationship with Jesus, and it is, it is not religion, but it is also not just one way. It's not unidirectional, all right? The love, we love God because he first loves us, and so he pours out his love on us, and then our response, his, his love is like an invitation to then love him back. So he, uh, he, so today I, I just want to talk just the, the purity of loving Jesus back. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you and he wants you and he likes you. He wants to make you his bride. He wants to make you his son or his daughter in his kingdom. But he is, he is, do, he is doing this and the, the beautifulness of this is when you and I begin to see him for who he, who he is and we begin to love him in return. Not because we have to, not because we're obligated to, but because we want to. All right? So the book of Mark, chapter 12 um, starting with verse 28 is where I'm going to start reading. And then I'm going to share two stories about what this, what I'm about to read, looks like in action. But here we go. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. It says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him. And this is, this is Jesus that answered them well. And then the scribe comes and asks Jesus this question. Which commandment is the most important of all? I love, I love stuff like this. 
Like, let's get right down to the one thing. <laughs> let's get right down to the vision of your heart. If you take all of the commandments and you, you can only pick or keep one, which one is the most important? And Jesus answers in verse 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then verse 31, it goes on to say, the second is this. Now, they didn't ask for the second. They just asked for the first. But Jesus, he gives them, he gives them a two-for-one special here today. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, this is a famous passage. Lots of people talk about this. And I know that in, in my life, many times when I have heard this preached, sometimes I've heard it preached so great from the heart of God, and you just want to cry for days, and you just want to respond, and it's so great. But I've also been stung by passages like this from people that have been trying to shame others into following Jesus. Now, here's the message of shame. Jesus, I know it is very sad. <laughs> Somebody finally got it. Uh, the, uh, Jesus did so much for you. He loved you so much. He died on a cross for your sins. The least that you can do is love him back. The least that you can do is follow him in return. The least that you can do. You guys ever, anybody ever bite on, on that word? Anybody on that gospel? Everybody, anyone ever receive that? Well, that is the message of shame. Jesus didn't love us so he could get something from us. He is, we have nothing that he needs. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He who needs nothing wants us. And the message of this is, is invitational, not accusational. God is not trying to tell us how bad we are. He's trying, to, he's trying to welcome us into the life that we were born to be welcomed into. The kind of life that just loves him. That just loves him. So, so a, a Jesus church radically loves God. And the reason I say radically is, is because the kind of love relationship that Jesus is inviting us in, this is the best of his heart. This is the heart of Jesus, like this is the one thing. This is, this is, this is it. The most important is hero Israel. In other words, hear my people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So I'm just calling this a radical kind of love. The kind of love, not that you just feel a little bit, the kind of love that you not just choose a little bit. I know that we've made love very convenient because when our hearts aren't engaged and our hearts are not feeling like they should, we just say, oh, love is not about feelings. Love is about a decision. I've never agreed with that theologically. Some, sometimes you do have to choose to love. But, but, the, the, but the reason I, I disagree with love just being a decision is because the affections of our heart are supposed to work towards Jesus. And we've, we've made, what we've done is we've made it legal to feel nothing for he in whom we were made by and for. We've wrapped theologies around coldness of heart, saying, oh no, you don't need to feel anything, that's not love. And what we say is, love is what you do. Does that sound pharisaical or what? 
And I'm saying that, guys, that love is action. It is a verb. But it also includes affection of our heart. It's a radical kind of love. So if, a, if we are a Jesus church, we must be walking in this great Shema here. It's also called the great commandment. And we talked about the great commandment. But I talked this morning about the great commandment or the great invitation to love God wildly, recklessly, radically with everything we've got, our decisions, our will, but our affections and our emotions and our minds and our hearts and our lives and our futures and our presence and our everything. This is the kind of love that Jesus wants to invite us into. This is the greatest commandment of them all. So I want to say a few things about this before I move on to a few examples of this. Number one, we cannot minimize this. We cannot minimize this. Just being silly lovesick for Jesus cannot be minimized in the church anymore. It is that sometimes we, uh, we, you know, Jesus calls us to love him radically, and we can say that biblically, we can preach that, but when somebody does, we get scared. And uh, God's call on you first is to love him most. Do you hear this? The very, if you don't know what job you're supposed to have, if you don't know who you're supposed to marry, if you don't know how many kids you're supposed to have, listen, stop trying to figure it all out and turn your heart on to Jesus in sloppy, weird ways, and he will show you. All right? This is, this is that we cannot minimize a radical love for God, from his love. It's not a conjured up. It's just like, it's just like I want to sit in your lap and fall in love with you, Father. Yeah. Kind of love. All right? Now, number two, this is, and I mentioned this already, but I cannot say this enough. This is not an obligatory love. Okay? This is not the, the love of the crusades in medieval times where people were converting heathens to Christ by sword point. All right, and why we celebrate the Crusades shows me that we need to do a lot of teaching on church history because the Crusades were horrible. And we name our sports teams after them and we celebrate them like ignorantly. All right, Crusades were not good. All right, they're not about Jesus, they're about power. Um, so, so here's, but so this is not an obligatory love that says you have to love God. All right, this is not God doing that. This is, God will like us even if we don't love him. All right, this is, how about this? Wednesday was my daughter Grace's 12th birthday. We did not, and she is so sweet. She's so wonderful. But we celebrated her it, what seemed like for like, it was like a, a you know, a biblical weddings, you know, you celebrate for like days and weeks. I felt like we just kept celebrating her. Wednesday was her birthday and then we go home, we got stuff, Adrian plans all this stuff. We got Friday night, we're celebrating Saturday, everything. We didn't do it because we had to or were obligated to. I didn't have, I, I didn't say, now Grace, I want to be honest with you, it's your birthday. We just want to get you off of our back. So we're just going to do some things so you can't fuss. Got it? Capiche? You know, we weren't, we weren't like that. We were like, we're celebrating you because we love you. This is not obligatory. This is not modern day crusades. This is not ultimately about me. So I'm doing for me. I'm, I'm blessing you to get you off of me. Right? 
Like, you know that, that saying, happy wife, happy life? Your goal is a happy life, so you, so you get your wife off your back by loving. It's not a biblical statement. That felt good. <laughs> Listen, love your wife, even if the rest of your life is unhappy. Love your wife, right? You're not loving her for you, or it's not love. So this is, this is just, this is love. The, the gospel love, relationship love, is you're obsessed with a man. And no matter what happens to your future, no matter whether you are let down or not, you are just in love. Yeah. You are just in love. Now, here's the last thing I want to say about this, that loving others comes after, or more specifically, out of our love first for God. So I'm telling you this, this, this great commandment here where Jesus says, boil the heart of God down. Here's what's most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are not interchangeable. What's being celebrated here and amplified is not just love in general, and then you can kind of love God if you want, when you want, and then you can kind of love others. Uh, you know, the whole point is just love. The whole point is not love. The whole point is God. Okay. So in order to biblically love, you must get these ducks in a row. <laughs> the, you Loving others comes out of first being impacted by this love relationship with God, where you take him up on his invitation just to receive his love and then give it away. And then if you haven't received love, you have nothing to give away. And so if you try to just love others without first receiving, you're doing something weird and religious, but it's not the, it's not the great commandment kind of living. Loving God, primary. So when, I personally don't get excited when I flip on the news and see when the world is talking about loving others, when they're Christless. That's not love, that's not the love we're talking about. All right, hey, people are making sandwiches forever. Well, that's great. There's the, the kingdom of God is on that in some capacity. The heart of God is on that in some capacity. What would, what would amplify and what would set it on fire is the love of God first. It's coming from that deep well, you see, and not some type of humanism. So I want to talk about two places where we see this love in action and I love this because this is coming from two women. But Jesus says this in Mark chapter 12. He says, he says, okay, good question. Boil down. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the greatest commandment. That's a massive invitation. And then sentences later, he tells a story about, this is in Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44. He, he, talks a, he tells a story about a woman that is operating in this love. Look at this. It's called the widow's offering in my Bible, starting with verse 41 of the same chapter. And he, that's Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, this is very interesting. I want you to see this. Jesus is watching the offering. When we give, it's not, just be, it's not just between me and me. It is Jesus watches. Isn't that weird? Jesus, you shouldn't be watching. Well, it's mine. <laughs> oh, good point. 
Good point. So he's watching people put money into the offering box and many rich people put in large sums. Hey, if you're a rich person, you can put in large sums, big praise, right? But if you're a poor person that can only put in pennies, big praise. We're getting to that. I'm rushing ahead. I had to say it. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which which make a penny. So these two coins are a fraction of a cent. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now there had to have been amongst Jesus' disciples somebody with a, 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 lenient, a, a tendency towards math. So hold on, Jesus. And they pull out their calculator and they say, now I just watched these other people put in this much. This lady barely put in a cent. This is the math doesn't add up. And Jesus is just like, that's because I'm not watching with worldly statistics in mind or math. I'm, I'm watching according to my, my heart. I'm watching according to a kingdom that, do, that, that wants to break out on this world but isn't here completely yet. And so, so Jesus is watching the giving. He's not watching for mathematical amounts with a calculator. He's watching for kingdom amounts motivated by love. Why would somebody take their last dime and give it out of worship to God? When Jesus is watching and he is recognizing this worship is more than the many because this is the one coming out of love. And the reason I can say this is because this is the context in which Jesus is speaking. He's telling this story right after he he gives the great commandment. Love the Lord with everything you've got, including your pocketbook. Who gets, this is, it blows my mind. It should all, we should never get used to stories like this. We should always want them more. We should always want to dig deeper. But who gets Jesus' Jesus's attention as people are putting money in? And this is, these isn't cash and they're not checks. It's, it's the currency then was coins, metal coins. And these boxes that they would put things in, they're actually in the shape of a trumpet, so when you put it in there, the, the sound of the clanging offering rings out. And so here is a, is a, a, a woman. Just think about this. And that, that, is, that is what's happening today. And, and you hear lots of ka Wow. Bing-bong-bong-bongs. <laughs> and then you take a, you take a, a, a woman who, who dares, just think about this for a moment, who dares to step into a moment where the rich are dropping major coin that's ringing in everybody's ears. And she's got the two lightest amounts of stuff that probably would not make a sound when dropped in. So everybody will know that she's barely doing a thing. She's stepping into humiliation. She's in the midst of potential intimidation. This is like, this is like a kindergartner playing basketball with my son. This is, this is, you're out of your league here. And why does she step in and give more? 
Obviously, she's not giving for attention because what she, the amount is embarrassing. Obviously, she's not giving for reputation because it's going to prove that she's impoverished. Obviously, she's not giving for promotion because she won't be on anybody's radar after this except negatively. She's just purely intoxicated in love is all I can know. She reminds me of Anna. Yeah, yeah. When Anna had her husband die, she just lives in the temple fasting and praying all the time. She's not necessarily giving money, she's giving her. What, what compels somebody to give all? Not half, not 10%. What compels? In a marriage, what, what compels you just to say, you've got all of me, not parts of me? As a parent, what compels you to say, you've got all of me, not just 80% of me? And a, and a, what compels? Guys, it's love is what compels. The love of the Father getting up and changing our spiritual DNA. And so we're beginning to feel for him and like him in ways that make us look crazy, absolutely absurd to the world. I want to be like that lady. Come on, Right? Now, but if you just read just a, a little bit over, you, you find another lady that I think is, is a bit crazier named Mary. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 11, listen to this one. And while he, this Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flax, uh, flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do Good for them. Great point, Jesus. Right? Why were you not upset and obsessed with providing for the needs of the poor before this? Don't talk about the poor now if you weren't then. But you will not always have me, Jesus says. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, this is, this is right before the Passover with the, with the disciples. Mary is much more spiritually in tune than these 12 guys following Jesus. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Why is that? Because she's capturing the essence of the gospel. Not just use Jesus to get to heaven, but want Jesus to pour all of your life on him. And this really ticks Judas off. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. What was Judas's treasure? Obviously money. This, this touched his soul in a way that after following Jesus for three years, he would prefer 30 pieces of silver over the man. Ouch. Where, where did my notes go? Like, I am completely gone after that one. Where are we? Gee, there we go. Yes. 
So guys, let, let, me, let me comment on, on this, this story here just for a moment, because Mary, this is Mary, the sister of Martha here. It actually doesn't say it in this text, but if you, if you read in, in Matthew or John, you will find out that this is Mary, the sister of Martha, who sat at Jesus' feet being scolded by her older sister Martha when Martha was making all the food, and she, Mary just preferred the position of just presence, all right? But I want you to see she is modeling here that your love for God is bound to look at, if your love for God is real, if your, God, if your love for God is not just decision-based, all right, if your love for God can go beyond a calculator and a day timer, your love for God is bound to look like a waste to most. You hear this? This is, this is why I, I take flack. Why do you let big men run around wildly on a Sunday morning? <laughs> why do you let them, the, the, there's, there's no lanes, there's a, put some arrows down or something. Why do you let people wave flags and hit others in the face and blow horns? Why, why? This is not, this is not normal. Well, in the kingdom it is. This is, this is, it may not be normal to our earthly experience, but when you read the book of Revelation, when you get pictures of heaven, the angels worship like this, and, and people saved from sin, and now resurrected, and sons and daughters of Jesus have it better than the angels. So I say human beings, take it up a few notches. That even angelic worship can't be the norm. Take it up a few notches. So your love for God is bound to look like a waste to others. Look at verse three of chapter 14. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Then you read a little bit more. The response of the people, not the response of Jesus, but the response of the people at the table, probably and most specifically Judas, but probably others, the, the response was, why the waste? Why the waste? In other words, this is not love. This is, this is unwise. This is unwise. Why are you doing this? Sometimes your pure love is going uh, to look unwise. Sometimes your pure love is going to be judged. And suddenly the motive police will show up and they will begin to comment on you and they will begin to think thoughts about you and you'll start to feel it in the air. Why are you wasting your life on Jesus? And then you just answer in your spirit and keep going because he's worth it, yo. That's why you do. This is why. This is why. So this is, here's, a, here's another thing here. This is, this is a woman. This is, I already told you, this is Mary, the sister of Martha, a woman came. Now, now this is, think of, of, a, of a room full of men back in this day when, when women did not have the voice, and they still don't today. I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying it was, it was crazier back here uh, that a, a woman came into the man zone, all right, and then they're allowed when they're serving, but they're, they're not allowed to inter, interact with the guest, right? But Mary says, who cares? I, I know about the cultural norms. And Jesus is just bigger than culture. 
Uh, Jesus, Jesus has to be the center even of this weird culture, or, or I'm going to make him the center. So, so this woman, she, she, this, this woman came into the group, and I love it because it's, it's not like she just did it on a whim. This, is, this means intentionality. This is significant because she intentionally decides to go with her family heirloom that cost a year's salary. Crazy. Crazy, and it's significant because she intentionally decides to walk into a culture that wouldn't accept her. She intentionally decides to put her, to sacrifice her reputation. This is not just sacrificing her reputation with her sister anymore by sitting at Jesus' feet. This is her sacrificing her reputation for all to see. This is, this is possibly, Mary, I don't know how, how set they were financially, but if you take something like this and you pour it all out at once, probably there's gonna be some type of financial implication. Yeah. All right? So this is a, maybe at least for a short stint, the financial future just got screwy in this house. All right? Pure Nard was an aromatic perfume or an aromatic oil and it was used for solemn acts of devotion, all right? It actually came from northern India, from roots, all right? So it's, very, it's imported. It's not like you go in the backyard and you find some roots and you're like, oh, nard, great. You know, it's, you have to import it, very hard to get. If it's, if it's rare, it means it's expensive, right? And so this is worth about 300 denarii. A, a denarius was worth, a, uh, was a day's wage. So we're talking a good portion of a year here, this aromatic perfume used for solemn acts of devotion, very costly, a year's wages, um, was in the possession of Mary. Um, Mary wasn't the oldest. M- maybe she went into Martha's room and nabbed this, right? I, I like to think like that. Makes it fun and spicy. But the, the, I have a question like, how do you get something that expensive in your hands? You're just regular people. Uh, it could have been a family heirloom. It could have been passed down from generations. Could have been. It could have been. It could have been saved. It could have been in a safe. It could have been. It, it could have been a whole lot of things. But the, the the focus of this passage is not how it was obtained, but the reality that she wasted it on Jesus. That is the focus of the passage. It is not. Who cares how she had it. It was expensive. It's what she did with it that shows that she was a mad woman, lovesick, down to her depths. What, 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 uh, what, what we're doing here is we're taking something, what she's doing here is taking something of great worth and pouring it over Jesus. And, and so what she's doing, by what she's communicating, what she's saying by doing this is Jesus is of more and greater value than my greatest earthly treasure or reputation. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. I, I, would, I would rather, if I've got the opportunity, I would rather take what the world says I should keep for to set me up for the future, and I would rather make my present smell. I would rather waste my life in a moment on the object of my affections than just 
do the math. In other words, I think that, that Mary is saying, I'm intoxicated with love and I'm just responding. Did Jesus not pour it all out for his bride? And now the bride just is pouring it out, just pouring it out, just being, being like Jesus. This is what the, the, the Spirit just, just wants to free us up. So Mary is saying, I'm so satisfied in him that I can give anything away. This is, do you see that in the heart of Jesus is a heart of generosity? Do you see this? Jesus loves when people go generous because it's like him. He doesn't hold back, he just gives freely. Just gives freely. So when you're operating in generosity, whether it's in tithing or gift giving or taking care of needs, it's just like, just like you're experiencing the Father's heart as you just give away. She just give away. Psalm chapter four, verse seven, the psalmist says, you have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. In other words, this is, this is a kingdom reality that joy is not the result of having a lot of wine and grain, or in other words, having a great uh, earthly harvest, but joy is a result of knowing he, he who we were made for. You put more joy in my heart just by knowing you, God. You're depositing joy in my heart. And then my green and wine, I, I pray they're blessed, and I hope they are. But like Habakkuk says in Habakkuk, he says this. Do you guys know that Habakkuk wrote Habakkuk? It's, it's really revolutionary. It's uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. That, in other words, all your best attempts at creating a financial future for yourself, they've all failed. Here's the response of Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. God the Lord. How are you joyful when everything you've tried has not produced? Because he who never fails me has still not failed me and I still have him. And he is the object of my joy and my affection and my life. This is why. The, 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 your love for God is bound to look like waste to somebody when you're just giving and you're giving and you're giving and they don't know Jesus. They just don't like the unwise, crazy, lovesick actions that you're doing. But here's, here's my last thing. Your love for God has the potential to make others angry and uncomfortable, okay? Look at verses four and five. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, now, now listen to this, they're saying to themselves, they're not speaking this out loud, they're speaking to themselves. I wanna tell you that when you're speaking angry things to yourself, you still change the room's atmosphere. People can feel it. You're, you're saying it. Here and here, it's still going out in some capacity. There were some who said to themselves, indignantly, indignantly means that they were furious. They're watching a lady waste her life on a man. And they're angry, gossiping to themselves. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And here's what they did as they scolded her. Listen, as you live with increasing abandon towards Jesus, 
people will form opinions of you in their own minds. And they will say things to themselves. And they will, it'll be your own version of why was this wasted? Why did they do it that way? I disagree. I don't like how they did it. I don't like how they did it. I don't, they're having a conversation in their head. Don't like how they did it. Don't like how they jump. Don't like how they do it. I don't like how they do it. I don't like how they do it. This is not how Jesus talks, guys. This is not how he operates. This is when you hear this, it doesn't smell like Jesus. We have to be much closer to his heart than this. When somebody says, I don't like how you did it, don't like how, we, we can't say, good point. Good, Paul, that's a great point. What happens is your heart pulls a Judas. And you start saying, you, you get in an agreement with a concept that is, that is worldly instead of anti-worldly. You, your heart gets in agreement with something that never came from Jesus's. Jesus didn't stand up and knock the table over. Oh, I almost did that. Uh, he didn't knock the table over and scold this woman and say, listen, don't you love the poor? What are you doing to me? Get this stuff off of me. Rebottle it somehow. This is poured out on Jesus. And listen, if you're pouring your life out on Jesus and your love out on Jesus, it's not wasted, all right? Jesus says you're always gonna have the poor. If, you're, if you weren't angry for the poor before it was poured out, then you're actually not angry about the poor now. It's your heart is being exposed. You see? I want you to hear this. The followers of, followers of Jesus... Uh, I, I want four followers of Jesus, the poor are not our first priority. We're, we're, we're called from the heart of Jesus to care for them, but they're not our first priority. Remember, second, remember, love God and, and then love others, right? Jesus is our first priority, my friends. So we, we pour it all out on Jesus, and he has this, he has this tendency to take our offering, five loaves, few fish and mass produce it when we've given it to him. This is, our heart for the poor must flow out of our love for our Jesus or it's just dead works and religion. Do you hear this? Is that, well, I'm critical because of her lack of concern. Well, how do you know that she's not concerned? Like, do you follow around it? You know, you know her heart? No, you're critical because of your lack of treasuring Jesus. That's why you're critical. You, 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 what she's done makes absolutely no sense to you because you don't know who she knows. You don't love who she loves. So she makes no sense to you. She runs around wasting hundreds of dollars, years worth of, of wages. Makes no sense to people who don't treasure Jesus. But if, if Jesus was treasured, you would understand like, Duh, of course, if you've got it, give it to him. Pour it all over him. Wipe it all over him. Make him smell great because he is. And I think that this is, Jesus' call to a generation is, is, is in line with, with these women's modeling of love for him. Jesus' call to a generation is lose your reputation. Be of no reputation. Yeah. Be of no reputation. 
Like sacrifice your reputation at the cross and just don't live for it another day. Don't think about it another day. Just be okay with whatever he would say about you. If it just live for an audience of one. Have you heard that terminology, Jesus? As long as you are okay with me, I'm gonna be okay with me. And just let his voice drown out the others. Lose your reputation, I'm worth it, Jesus says. Invest in me, I'm worth it, Jesus says. Just make me the center of your life. I'm worth it, Jesus says. Now this is, this is a good word for us in these days because here's my bit of advice to you. Of course, receive the call of Jesus to make him your everything and your treasure and uh, it is gonna be fun. But I, want, I really feel like these are days for us as we're navigating what's it gonna look like because we're, we're not a seeker-sensitive church. Like if the Holy Spirit wants to come and be weird, I want that. Do you know that? Like I, I, I don't, like my goal is not just to keep it unweird. Do you know that? If you read the Bible, it gets weird often. It's not getting weird, it's not messy enough at church, it's not weird enough at church, it's not spicy enough at church, it's not hot enough at church, it's not, it's not a lot, it's, we, we've got, like God's calling us into a better future. And it's better than what we've experienced this morning, guys. It is, like there's more, there's more. But as we're moving into the future, here's my, here's my charge to us as, the, as the, the lead pastor of this establishment, all right? All right, but no, no, it's just as your friend. Just as someone who cares about your heart, just as someone that wants to see this church will actually be a Jesus church, not just say it is. I, I want us to assume the best. When you see people making you uncomfortable, assume the best. When you see people making you uncomfortable in worship, assume the best. You hear this? When, you know, I don't like it. All that light movement today, that's really seemed like they were trying to bring attention to the band. Assume the best. Maybe they're just trying to do the best they can. You ever think of that? Why do, are they selling shirts in the foyer? Are they hungry for money? Are they pulling a Judas? No, but you are if you don't assume the best. <laughs> right? How, assume the best. Like, this can go on and on. Yeah. Someone says something to you, and often, like, this happens, you say something in the foyer, and then you kind of reminisce about it when you drive home, and then when you lay down at nighttime, you remember that thing that they said in the foyer, and then you begin to question their motives behind it. Listen, just assume the best. D don't people make mistakes in family? Are, are people not allowed to make mistakes anymore? <laughs> are, are we not allowed to get it wrong a little bit? Like, can, can we just say, hey, listen, like maybe Mary came in to the, the, you know, the meal at the wrong time. Maybe it was awkward. Maybe we can learn how to work together. Listen, maybe my flags are distracting. Maybe, I, maybe my running, I've knocked down too many. Maybe I need to learn how to wind sprint without just massive, you know, you know hospital visitations. All right? But I can learn. I, I want, we, we have to learn how to do life together. And not, not if, if your wind sprints are, are stressing people out, listen, may, maybe don't for a while. May, maybe put others first. 
Maybe we just learned how to work together, but we, we elevate Jesus and we say we're not bowing at the, at the foot of our comfort anymore. Maybe, maybe we see people that are making us uncomfortable and we just say, you know what? Instead of being annoyed at them, I'm gonna join them. I'm gonna join that person. Gonna join that person. What would happen if somebody that has always made you uncomfortable doing what they do, because really, it's, it's God calling you out instead of in comfort. And what if you join them? I bet you the person that you're always angry at would suddenly become your hero and your friend. And that is the kind of church that we're going to be. Okay? Uh, So Jesus, just, let's just, however you receive, if you get on the floor, if you stand your feet, if you open up your hands in receiving posture, just however you receive, Jesus, we, uh, we just want you to do something new. Which is literally, legitimately, God, we, we wanna be part of a genuine, a genuine move. We don't wanna reproduce last year's or last season. What, what do you wanna do today? And that's what we wanna walk in. We know that your, your word is saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? So God, uh, we, we wanna walk, we, we wanna perceive, we wanna see what you're doing, and we wanna fearlessly move in that direction. So God, I just pray that this would be a house uh, where, where fear doesn't rule but love does. I pray that this would not be the house of the motive police trying to you know, feel like family, but we actually are family, just happy about all the crazy people we get to live with. I just pray, God, that we would begin to celebrate, uh, celebrate love, celebrate discomfort, that we would be able to celebrate real, genuine love sickness in our day. God, I just pray that, God, I just pray that, God. I pray, God, that, that you would eradicate criticism and cynicism and calculated type of Christianity and that we would just be so overwhelmed with the love of God and we'd just be spilling it out and it would be so beautiful and so real, God. I pray for fresh encounter. Lord, thank you for the testimony earlier that, that someone who had never experienced the presence of God experienced the healing hand of God. And so we could say, God, pour it out in our day. Pour it out in our day. We want to operate in your heart for us. If that costs us all, you are our all anyway. There's, we just want you. We just want you, God. Just give us hearts to say that. Give us merry hearts. Give us a, a merry, merry affections. Merry affections. We'd be glad just to sit at your feet. We'd be glad to have a life that's criticized from the outside, but we actually know friendship with Jesus on the end. So God, that's what we want. Bless people, make them courageous, make them sensitive to you. God, move in these days, I ask and I pray, and we're glad to follow you as a Jesus church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.